Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, February 24th, and after 10 very long days, I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? For once, a lot has happened between the last time we talked and now. (laughs) I'm going to forget half of it, but the big points, caught COVID, finally got the albert guest episode edited and uploaded and did a shit ton of reading which i really enjoyed an intellectual sitting across from me now no 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 like korean web novels okay i had a blast doing them but i'm not gonna even try and put that hat on (laughs) well that's awesome yeah i think 10 days is a suitable amount of time especially when you see one twice a week maximum three days apart definitely some time for stuff to go on. And uh, sounds like you had quite an eventful 10 days. I did as well. Uh, Had a little mini vacation in February, escaped the cold to go to the colder uh, out in Alberta. It was minus 30 degrees Celsius on Monday when we were out cross-country skiing. Um, But you keep the body moving. You avoid the deep dark soulless pit that is always there but especially feel felt when it is is cold um and yeah also did some downhill skiing i'm not one for skiing um (laughs) it was quite the adventure but we we stayed simple on the slopes and an enjoyable trip that is bracketed by two of the busiest weeks at my work (laughs) someone could ask for so i am in one right now but always 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 want to make some time carved out to see my buddy. So uh, happy that we're here. We have no prep today. I have maybe 5% prep. Uh, So we're just going to have some questions and you're going to get a real authentic, unfiltered episode of Sports Next Door here on the pod because yeah, there, there might be some things said that are unresearched. There might be some things said uh, without any thought put into them. But uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the plan for this one. Max, anything else you really want to touch on before we jump right into things? Um, just to add that there's still going to be the most correct takes out there as always. <laughs> so don't worry about that, folks. As always, we never miss. We never miss here on Sports Next Door. All right. We've got, let's see here, seven big questions. For the rest of 2022, thought it'd be fun to just talk big and broad uh, concepts. We have framed them in a fun, almost game show style format uh, for many of you gambling gurus out there. uh, Very, very familiar with the concept of an over-under, but that is what we have used to set our discussion points today. And the very first question here pertains to a team in the midst of a three-game losing streak in the midst of a fan base panicking largely because we are seeing the same things as we have seen for generation upon generation and a team that still is on pace for a historic season, yet it feels like the sky is falling once again. And of course that team I am talking about is the Toronto Maple Leafs who 
are 0-2-1 in their last three. They are currently in a battle with the Minnesota Wild. Um, two high-powered teams. It is scoreless so far. We may get some live reaction as that one moves along. They really need this win. They do not have Jake Muzzin, probably for the rest of the season. He goes on LTIR yesterday. Uh, and the goaltending has plummeted dramatically. Don't know if the two things are correlated. I feel like they might be uh, to a small degree, but this Leaps team is in desperate need of back-end help as well as goaltending. They did make the trade for Ilya Labushkin that we never had a chance to talk about, but overall, uh, a B-plus for me. I think it's a solid trade, and it just means that there's more. And with Muzzin going on LTIR, I think that's four, $4.5 million in cap space that is freed up now for the Leafs to utilize, at least until he's healthy. Um, again, could be for the rest of the year. So that does open up some possibilities here for some trade deadline moves. So Max, that is my long-winded way of getting to the question here. Over under 1.5 moves made specifically on trade deadline day. From Kyle Dubas. I'm going under on this for a couple of reasons. Okay. First, Dubas has just never really been that pull the trigger guy. He, he takes his time on the trades. He might make one, but if you ask me 0.5, I'd say maybe he makes one trade on trade deadline, but he's never that guy going out, moving, and going into this season his stance was pretty firm and clear in I've built the team I've built. I think I've assembled the best pieces I can assemble. It's not really up to me at this point. It's up to them to click. And I believe in their ability to do so. And all of that was very much laced with the understanding that if those pieces didn't click, didn't show something different, this playoffs, this would be his last year in Toronto. So with that understanding, I don't think he sells too much of the future. I, I don't think he's going to go wreck the future assets of whoever could potentially be coming in after him in some desperation. I just don't see him as that type of GM. Uh, obviously, you can make some small trades, acquire some tool pieces and still fit that sentiment I described that he went into the season with. And to some extent, you can always get better as a team and I hope to see that. Um, but just the way he treats this team, the belief he has in the pieces and the what we've seen from him over the years, I don't think we see two trades or more on trade deadline day. All right, all right. A couple things for me to pick at there. Uh, I will first lay out the case for the under. Um, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the reason why I would say under is because Kyle usually tends to get his business done before the trade deadline day. So as we already have seen, the Ilya Labushkin move, uh, but previous trades made under the Dubas regime, including the Jake Muzzin trade, including the Jack Campbell trade, including Thomas Placanics. Brian Boyle uh, are, are some of the key moves that have been made around trade deadline, trying to add to this team to make it more dangerous uh, heading towards the playoffs. But I do want to go over here. 
because this team has outperformed even really high expectations this year. They, at one point, were the number one team in the league. They are still up there. I think they're ranked seventh in the league now and somehow third in the Atlantic division. Uh, So that's a problem in itself. But when your team has made the playoffs now, what, this is going to be the fifth straight year. And they have had at least winning regular seasons. And this now seems to be the best group that you've had out of those five years. You got to reward it. You got to go for it. A lot of future assets are already out the window and you got to show the team that you're, it has to be done at some point. And you're committed to winning on this roster right now. The picks that moved in the Labushkin deal, the third and the fifth rounder, no one's even going to know about them six years from now. Uh, right. So you, you mortgage that future in an attempt to go now. Uh, he's already made one move. The, the Muzzin thing going on LTIR, that opens up so much more flexibility for this team to really try and figure out who they can move for. Uh, some names that have come up are Calvin DeHaan, Ryan Braun, Mark Giordano, Adam Larson, uh, all blue line help, of course, because that is a big, big area of need. But we also saw JT Miller thrown out earlier this week, which would be a nasty addition to our second line uh, beside Nylander and Tavares, who have been scuffling a little bit as of late. And so I do want to say over because Dubas has always been a guy good at finding some perimeter pieces to this team. Third line has been solid, but maybe the fourth line needs a little bit of extra juice. You can upgrade almost that kind of 13th forward, 12th forward uh to provide some grit and toughness, just give lineups a shakeup, uh, avoid having to go a little short staffed in terms of injuries, but obviously that's one. And then I think the second move is a big move for a top four defenseman. Uh, in a perfect world, it'd be someone like Josh Manson from Anaheim, but they're not going to move him because he's on a great deal and, and for much more term, but that there's going to be a candidate out there. And I think at this point, Kyle is ready. He knows that his window is getting shorter and shorter. So why not trade the assets that for a player and try and win now? Because if it doesn't work, he's not going to be around to see the fallout. And so that is my reason for going over. I think it gets done on trade deadline day because teams are going to out wait him out and drive that price up. And in the end, he's going to have to pay it. Yeah, it does feel counterintuitive to say it's his last year. He won't blow it up on his way out. It's just the pattern of behavior we've seen. And I think some, well, it's reputation protection. It's going to be hard to get another job after that if you are do become known as that guy. I wouldn't hate to see it, though. Yeah, that's it's the ultimate. uh, And I can't for the life of me, think of the term right now, but it's the ultimate um, next kind of frontier in running an efficient and successful organization with longevity is somehow managing to avoid the GM that blows things up on their way out because it totally doesn't affect them what happens five years from now. Uh, And so they can mortgage the future of the team in order to win now. And so I see it as a distinct possibility. I guess, Max, if there was one guy out there who you'd like to see added to the Leafs, who would that be? 
Man, I, I don't know who that it's definitely a top four blue liner. That's yeah. I, I think goaltending, it's just such a crab shoot where you could go out there and give up so much value for like a elite goaltending proven player and he might not play any better than a random backup you pick up off waivers that that there's just no confidence in the value and you have to give up too much whereas the blue liner because it's a much more dependable trade you have to pay even more than there but you know you're going to get your return uh, there aren't really any names that come to mind. I haven't been following teams' trade blocks too much, but I think the type of trade the Tampa Bay Lightning made, picking up a Savard last year, is what I'd like to see for this team. It, he doesn't have to be a player we're going to be happy to have in three, four years. Just go get someone who's going to be a significant, solid addition to our blue line yeah. this playoffs. Tampa, and if you have to give up a first. Yeah. Tampa is the ultimate yeah. blueprint back-to-back years where they go and get McDonough and then they go and get David Savard. Like, it doesn't really get... I thought they got McDonough in, like, 2016 or something. Whatever. It was a trade kind of deadline deal where they they made that move. And, yeah. This is what you get when we didn't put the prep in. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, this team, man. I think they got scored on and then Matthew scored in about 40 seconds time. So we're 1-1 there in uh, against Minnesota. We'll move on from hockey. Uh, into the NBA portion of, of over-unders here. And this one, I, I wasn't very slick about it. And it's not necessarily the best framed over-under question, but we do have here over-under 0.5 MVP trophies this year for Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Now, this is a convoluted way of saying Who's your MVP pick? Because it is a three-horse race. As of right now, Joel Embiid holds the media narrative in terms of, I would say he stands in first. And some of the performances, just the nights that he has seem to be a greater spectacle. Uh, Giannis and Jokic put up very similar numbers, but it has become such a accustomed performance that fans are used to media is used to that. It doesn't pop the same way that a 40 and 20 does from Joel Embiid, just with some of the ways that he can physically dominate a game on both ends. And don't get me wrong. Both of those other guys can as well. It just seems like Embiid has particularly captured the awe and inspiration of the NBA community this year. So just to run through it, Embiid is averaging 29.6 points per game. Uh, 11 rebounds and four and a half assists on 50% shooting, which is just stupid. It's incredibly incredible stats. But then we go over to Giannis, who's averaging 29.4, 11, and six. So very, very similar stats. In fact, the assist is a point and a half higher and then shooting 55% from the field. Uh, so big gap there. And then Nikola Jokic averaging 26 points per game. So lower those points output by three per game, but he then is out rebounding Giannis and Embiid by three at around 14 rebounds per game and averaging eight assists per game from the center position, which is 
Again, these guys are all incredible. And then Jokic averaging 57% from the field as a guy who is consistently running the offense. Just it's remarkable all, what all three of these guys are doing. Um, so Max, I will leave it to you to start here. If you had your pick, who would be your NBA MVP so far this year? You're not asking me who I think the media picks. You're asking me what I like best in those numbers. I think you can take it's, it either way. You could say okay. what your opinion is and then who you think will end up winning the trophy. So my pick based on what you just told me is Jokic. Um, the higher efficiency on the shooting. I love the assists, the rebounding, considering he is the least athletic of those three players. I know Giannis is not the true center, but with no Lopez, he's been doing that a lot more this season. Um, so not quite sure where that puts him in the rebounding conversation per se, but it just speaks to the basketball IQ of Jokic that he's able to out-rebound these superior athletic guys. And I, like the point guard is just the most important position to me. And that is what Jokic comes so much closer to that than the other two. So for me, my MVP pick is Jokic of the three or of the whole NBA. Before I get to who the media picks, I'm curious who your MVP pick is. We're doubling up here. I'm also going with Nikola Jokic. You've already outlined okay. some of the great things that he does. I think another really key point to make is the level of play around him that he's able to elevate. No Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr., which are your 1A and 1B options in terms of scoring on a night-to-night -night basis. And he's been doing it with Facundo Campazzo, Austin Rivers, uh, whatever green is out on the floor. Will Barton, right? Like, it's it's not your who's who of players, and somehow this Denver Nuggets team, record-wise, not as strong as Milwaukee or Philadelphia, but really not too far behind. And it's all because of Jokic. He runs that team just completely, and yeah, it's that. <laughs> He's just so makes everyone around him so much better. And not, not to say that the other guys don't as well, but it's, it's the up. It's the level he raises everyone around him at the center position. Like you mentioned, he is basically a point guard playing center uh, and yeah, really remarkable stuff that he's been able to, to do this season. And I would say, just to follow up is that will be the media's pick by the end of the year, because they will see in terms of kind of those advanced metrics on off uh, the wind shares, and then taking into account that he's so durable, he does it every night and he makes everyone around him better. That's truly the most valuable player. Uh, I also sense a Giannis maybe getting rested as well as an Embiid having an injury or two still for the rest of the season. And Jokic will just have that games played amount. That'll kind of be that minute separator. Yeah. And that's, it really was one, a one B last season between Jokic and Embiid until Embiid got injured. So for me, I can really pretty easily make a detracting narrative argument against any of these three 
that maybe hypothetically, like I can see James Harden coming in and then suddenly the argument you just made about Jokic doing it so much more impressively really holds water when Giannis has a holiday, a Middleton around him and suddenly Embiid has a Harden now. Um, but we talked about voter fatigue when we talk about the MVP and that alone could be a reason Jokic doesn't win it. Um, you can make the argument that this is still the year of Giannis and that's why he's going to come get that MVP still riding that playoff high. Uh, and you can also make the argument that because Embiid is the only player of these three who hasn't won an MVP before, that fact alone is just going to nudge him over it and get him that award. Um, it, I know fans do not have the say in the MVP race that they have in the all-star voting. Thank God. Um, it still feels like way too much of a popularity contest for me to really give a firm guess. Um, to be honest though, your injury thing does, especially the way Embiid plays, I feel like he's much more likely to get injured than Jokic. So, man, I, I feel like I've just copped out on this answer here. I have no freaking idea. Who James Harden makes his debut tomorrow night for the 76ers. Could that be someone who steals a little bit of Embiid's limelight? Uh, and then yeah. I guess the last thing to consider is, could there be someone who jumps in and breaks up this three-way race here? A Steph Curry, a Ja Morant, a DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant probably not going to get enough games in by this point. A LeBron James? possibly um all great candidates i think out of all those guys i just mentioned curry is really the only one who has a legitimate shot at this point in the year of jumping into that conversation uh it's just tough and the only one out of the the four there that hasn't won an mvp so that could lead to him maybe always we've had voters uh what boredom <laughs> Uh, of of not wanting to repeat MVPs, who knows if Vemby stays healthy? Probably his, but big big question there, and and lots of seasons still to go. All right, next yeah. up here, the Toronto Raptors. Of course, cannot go through NBA without talking them, especially uh, a much much needed couple week and a bit off for this team to regroup after playing an absurd amount of minutes over January and February. Scotty Barnes, not the best performance at All-Star Weekend, uh, but he was there, which is important. And uh, really fun Rising Stars Challenge, a brutal, just brutal dunk competition. Uh, and Carl Anthony Towns winning the three-point competition, which was pretty cool moment to see. The Toronto Raptors. According to 538 projections, sit will project to have a 46 and 36 record uh, with a full strength rating of 1574, which is actually the fifth best rating, uh, or pardon me, oh, it is the eighth best rating in the Eastern Conference, but they are currently above two teams with a better full strength rating for them than them. Uh, projected point differential of 1.9 an 85% chance of making the playoffs. That is a massive, massive stat. That's like top eight, eh? 
uh, once the plane's done. Yep. Yep. So, Max, I ask you this. As projected right now to finish seventh in the Eastern Conference before play-in shenanigans, just in terms of record, do you have over-under or a push on the seventh seed? A push being dead on the money? Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to have to hedge on this one and uh, wait, wait, would under be lower than seventh seed? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. We'll just do it that way. Yeah. Okay, I'll go under. I, I think uh, Durant comes back, picks it up. Um, Charlotte been there recently. They're going to come in heavy towards the end. Atlanta going to come in heavy towards the end. I can't bet against Cleveland against at this point. I think I can't bet against the Celtics to play worse than the Raptors. So as much as I love this team and think amazing things about them, when I look at all the teams around them, I just see a bit more potential for them to step it up in the crunch time than I think the Raptors have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You stole my thunder there. I've been under this team all year <laughs> just because yeah. – that way you emotionally hedge yourself. I'm going under again. Um, the Boston Celtics, 538 loves the Boston Celtics. They have the best full strength rating, according to 538, out of any team in the East. So they have really performed well defensively all season, and now they are starting to click offensively. Derek White was ended up being a fantastic addition for them uh, and has helped transform this team into a ball-moving, player-moving offense. Uh, and, and Tatum and Brown, of course, the ceiling on those two is, is pretty unmatched across the league in terms of what they can do on both ends of the ball. And so Celtics right now seem to be a lock to climb into a pretty solid playoff position, which then leaves the Raptors to duke it out with the Brooklyn Nets, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Charlotte Hornets here. Um, the Nets, like you mentioned, KD gets back. We don't know when that'll be. We also don't know what a Ben Simmons will look like. Uh, feels like things are pretty close to being uh, kind of changed up in the state of New York and Kyrie will be able to play all of his games. So that could lead to some success for Brooklyn, but I don't know if, if they'll be able to push the team. I actually think could somehow manage to get it together is Atlanta. Um, Trey Young has historically had really, really strong performances following the all-star break starts to turn it up and this was a team that we said during the beginning of the season they had the playoff success they maybe sat back on their laurels a little bit but when it comes to talent if they really choose to turn it on I think they might start winning some games down the stretch and putting things together and so I could see the Raptors falling to eight or nine still being in that play-in game uh, but that is where they sit for me as an under as well. Although I just took a look, the Charlotte Hornets one and nine in their last ten. Don't know what's going on there. Um, so maybe I'm rating this team it's a little too high. No, Gordon Hayward, same as yeah. the last couple of years. He is the <laughs> connective tissue of that uh, team, and when he's not playing, which is frequently, it really removes uh, the fluidity of their offense. And it is the connective tissue that keeps giving out on him. Huh? Oh. Um, I will. I think this was a pretty easy prediction to make 
heading into this year, but I would like to give ourselves a pat on the back for just discussing how deep and tight the Eastern division would be versus the West, which would have a solid top and then really fall out on the bottom after that. That's exactly how it's played out. And um, that might be the most on the money we've been about anything we said going into this year so far. All right. Love a good kudos. Love a good kudos. All right. Last one here. This one's a little bit fun. Uh, Big theme coming out of All-Star Weekend was just LeBron takeover. Uh, Mentioned how the Cavs had three All-Stars, Garland, Allen, and himself, even though he does not play for Cleveland anymore. Uh, He also hit the game-winning shot in the Elam ending of the All-Star game. Pretty cool moment there. And really just a lot of storylines. He has the gravitational pull that no other superstar has. And a big quote that came out from that All-Star game festivities was, whoever drafts my son is going to get me as well. Does not matter about the money. He will play his retirement tour season with his son, Ronnie James. And so Max, LeBron James Jr. is not a highly touted prospect uh, for his draft class, but the appeal of grabbing the father along in a package deal with the son uh, is, is definitely up there for NBA general managers. So I ask you this, over, under, Bronny James will be the 45th pick in his draft year. So that would be middle of the second round. Yeah, I think it goes under, like it's less than 45 picks. Oh, so he goes Um, earlier in the draft. Yeah, it's, I hate it. Like that statement is just kind of everything wrong i'm choking on my words here because i know they're gonna sound bad but like that's everything wrong with the player empowerment movement for me um but it's just too easy you're a top 10 team you make your or um yeah you're a top 10 team in the league you had a good run in the playoffs you know what would make this run better lebron james and him convincing some other superstar to come play for your team all right we'll throw away a first round draft pick and take him like i I just think that's such an easy obvious move to make um that someone's gonna make it we are again aligned on this i will go under 45 as a number and, and say he will be taken early second round. So not a first round pick, but early second round by a smaller market team that has drafted in the lottery, taken their big swing. And now the second part of this draft is we have the opportunity to grab a cash cow like no other in LeBron James. Imagine having LeBron James for his farewell tour, right? Sell out games every night, the ticket sales, the merch sales through the roof. How can you miss on that opportunity and it costs you nothing because the majority of second round picks do not work out anyway. So as a small market team, like a Detroit, like a Sacramento, uh, like a Memphis, although they'll probably be too good by then to be that low in the draft. Um, I don't know who else you want to throw in there, Portland, New Orleans, uh, Orlando, but 
it's it's a guarantee to make the money rather than taking a low percentage shot on a second round pick. So why not go draft the guy's son, make all that money, and then if he retires, you can just as easily cut the kid the next year. And and that's so brutal, but that's my cold hard business take. That's look that's on LeBron. Yeah. And uh and hey, like we saw Dwayne Wade's son playing in the G League right now. Um most likely got there because of the name right with his father that not saying he's a terrible player to be in the G league is really, really impressive. You're in the top 1% of basketball players, but it's, it, it just has the precedent now set where guys sons can, can at least get a cup of coffee. Right. And I think that's going to happen because how can a team miss out on, on the potential of having LeBron James on your team, even if he's 40 years old Uh, you, I don't think we'll see a contender do it because I don't know if LeBron will ever become a role player that's going to fit into a system. But if you want the uh, best show in town, that's a small market team that ends up losing every night and, and guys are learning under LeBron James still running it with his son, then, hey, there's, there's worse things you could do with a second-round pick. Can you imagine a team like Utah? <laughs> like, that's just filled with, like, talented sharpshooters who – like don't have have that like center and you go oh my god the more i think about it the more terrifying or i think it'll be utah um i don't know i also we're gonna have to do at least one full pod on this but taking a look at who will be a free agent that year will also be really interesting like it's just so easy for me to imagine a team that has the cap space it's like okay we sign lebron to the veteran minimum or like some stupid low deal we have the cap space make another big swing on a free agent we already had like that one good superstar we already had like an amazing set and it's just it's going to be ridiculous it's going to be totally unfair and it's going to be lebron james going out exactly as his career has gone since miami all right there you have it uh that does it for the nba portion of our over-unders here we might pick up the pace like a little bit. One. Uh, yes, this one generally targeted towards Max. He's got his finger on the pulse of the ATP season. And we have <clears throat> over under 2.5 titles between both Felix Auger-Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov. Uh, so that would be over under two and a half titles between the both of them for the rest of the ATP season. This counts ATP 250s, 500s, and of course, Grand Slams. Max, what sayeth you? I'm going over, baby. That Felix went breaking, popping the cherry, winning his first title very next week, runs it all the way back to the finals and plays a great two sets against Andre Rublev taking a rest this week to heal get ready for the two 1000 events coming in march um, i it's just been such a long time coming for felix that now that that dam has broken i'm so excited to see how he's going to perform for the rest of the season i feel happy picking just felix to take two three titles this season Chapeau, more of a wild card for me. Um, his brand of tennis, a lot more fun for me to watch. Um, 
he makes it to finals though a bit less often he gets upset in the first round a bit more often I think the floor is a bit higher for Dennis um, mid tournament and maybe even in finals and I'm hoping that Felix's level of play recently inspires him he's playing great in Dubai right now um but this is the most confident pick I have out of all of these going over. All right. I don't know if, if like what the stats on are on two guys winning a combined four ATP tour wins over a season. I feel like it's not super common, um, but I'm going to go over his tell well, because Dennis is going to win Wimbledon and Felix is going <laughs> to grab a, a couple other t- titles along the way. And, uh, I think if the, what was it that they won earlier this year? ATP Cup. If we count that towards 2022 as a title, because it doesn't not start in 2022. Like, I thought you were saying from now on. Or Davis. They've already won three. <laughs> uh, yes, from now, like until, that, from now until uh, the end of 2022. Yeah, so like 2022 tennis season ends with... Uh, the Nido ATP okay. finals. Well, okay. That's slightly, I'll say, I'll, I'll stay at three then, but I was thinking maybe there's a Davis cup in there or something like that. That definitely counts <laughs> because the two of them playing together is, is just electric, but yeah, looking forward to seeing what the boys can do. Don't think it's going to be our year or North America's year at the Lave cup <laughs> as we're getting that uh, Roger or Fidel nightmare back representing team europe so uh that would be the easy way to pick up two convenient titles but gotta ride our boys on this one yeah uh another competitor most likely in in uh for team europe is one novak Djokovic, who is already down one grand slam but with his near miss of the complete uh <laughs> quartet the golden slam run almost that almost was will novak Djokovic win over or under or push one grand slam out of the three that remain in the season it, it would be so historic for him to not win one grand slam in a calendar year and how absurd a statement is that <laughs> in a sport as competitive and ridiculous as tennis? Um, I, he's got to win at least one, and my money would be on the U.S. Open, the only one he didn't win last year, simply because it's the one he is guaranteed to compete in. The French, I think the one he is most unlikely to compete in because it is the next one that is going to happen. The French ministers have guaranteed he will not play if he is not vaccinated, which I haven't really followed that status. And I think he's purposefully been quite quiet about since all that drama. Um, And lastly, of course, because that is Nadal's tournament and Nadal is on fire right now he is currently having the best start to a tennis season in this year 2022 he has ever had in his career so for all those reasons the french hard to guarantee wimbledon i think 
more likely he plays than the French. He has a better shot of winning than he has the French, but concerns still play. Grass, I think a much more easier tournament for a Berrettini, a Zverev to just get really hot serving and punish him. Maybe even a Dennis. Uh, that sweet, sweet revenge would be oh so lovely. Um, but Novak Djokovic is going to win a Grand Slam this year. All right. Uh, death taxes and roll up the VHS tape and play it back for me. December 31st, 2022. We got Nadal and the French. We got Chapeau and Wimbledon. And we got Felix taking home the US Open, which means oh, Novak man. will go under one Grand Slam and will not win one in the calendar year of 2022 i'm putting my foot down on this take and i will still accept it as a victory even if the three names i mentioned do not win the next three grand slams just as long as Djokovic does not take one home i will be running many many victory laps there's a spit and hot fire and definitely would not be coming with this take if i had prep for the show but here we go <laughs> untapped unfiltered sports next door is the hottest tennis take we have ever had on this show and i say that with the knowledge what not that, that nick curios is the greatest tennis player of all time and that rafael nadal is the greatest dark horse we've ever seen okay someone's ah, twisting ah. my words heavily <laughs> old no, takes exposed that, yeah that i wish we had um the research skills for me to have checked but off the top of my head this would be the first year since i think like 2009 10 that Djokovic doesn't win a grand slam if that's the case so a truly historic year for tennis in 2022 mark it in the record books folks yawn moving on <laughs> our last one here uh I i'll probably take the the reins to the end of this one, Please. but Max, I will lay down the framework, the picture, the lay of the land, the goal. Qatar 2022 in November, the World Cup. It has been 37 years since the Canadian men's national team attended a FIFA World Cup. They sit at 25 points, top of the table in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. They play Costa Rica, they play Jamaica at home, and they play Panama. In those three games, I have set our over-under at five points. A win is three, a draw is one, a loss is zero. What you got? Over-under, five points, so a total of 30 points in CONCACAF qualifying for our Canadian men's national team. When is this leg? It is the week of March 24th to the 30th, I believe. I'm going over, baby. Let's go! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. I am also going over. I'm riding this team. The bandwagon could not be more full. Uh, if you have not jumped on, cling on to the wheels, cling on to the open back of the Chevy for dear life because we are going to Qatar baby and it is going to be in Costa Rica a W to clinch a spot in the top three back home at in Toronto at BMO field I 
will spend my life savings to be at that game to witness the party as we just beat up Jamaica and fully embrace being the best team in North and Central America, heading with that one seed to the World Cup. And then after that, it's a throwaway game against Panama. Put whoever you want out there on the field. We're just celebrating all the way until November. I am 100% buying this team. We are locked in, and I just cannot wait for March. The player is actually just not going to play that uh, Panama game. <laughs> They're going to be on the field and just party the whole time and let Panama run up the score as much as they want. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Team Canada, we are behind you. And to our listeners, thank you for waiting the 10 days. We rewarded you with one of our most poorly prepped, but maybe most entertaining shows we've had in in quite some time. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep the good times rolling. We'll have a lot more to talk about on Sunday when we next see you. But thanks everyone for listening. We're back. Sports Next Door, signing out.